Welcome to the All That's Holy podcast, a blue-collar podca- podcast. Talk to me about blue-collar. Why are we calling you it You know, I think so much what happens with uh, church resources, congregational resources, sometimes tries to be too esoteric and, and uh, mm-hmm. academic and big-worded. Like you just used. I love the word esoteric. <laughs> I actually think esoteric should be the name of a kind of formica that you want in your kitchen. Oh, that does sound nice. Yeah, I really like that esoteric. That's That would be nice. <laughs> it really look good with the faucet. Um, so much of it isn't appropriate, or not, I shouldn't say appropriate, easily apprehended by everyone in the congregation. If we want congregations to be filled with people who are engaged in active discernment, so much of our conversation needs to be geared away, I think, from the, the professional clergy, you know, the academically trained, mm-hmm. um, so that those people who are engaged in the discernment actually are the ones we're speaking with. Yeah. Yeah, and I think to me that's a big issue is congregational discernment. And then all that's holy, we like to call it all that's holy because we believe the holy shows up in everyday life, everywhere, all yep. around us, in the the screaming football crowd, to the the dirt underneath our fingernails when we're gardening. Exactly. Everywhere. You know- you see, um, one of the one of the aspects of the Reformation, at least the radical wing of the effort, uh, Reformation, where our little group came from, rebelled against the idea that there were sacred people, the priests. They mm-hmm. rebelled against the idea of sacred structures, the basilica or the, you know, the the the, the uh, parish church building itself. Um, rebelled against sacred days, as if some days were holier than others, right. whether it be Sunday or a saint's day or some other day, and to a certain degree, argued against the idea of a sacramental theology, you know, that there mm-hmm. were certain things, certain practices that conveyed God's grace, and instead aimed at and pushed toward the idea that God's grace is available for everyone, yes. all the time, in everything, in Every any place. Everyday sacraments. Everyday and sacraments. Exactly. And so it, it really it really pulled out that um, – Pulled the pulled the, the the availability of grace out of a little structure or a practice or a or a habit, mm-hmm. and tried to make it available everywhere all the time. Yeah. Well, so this is it. This is our first uh, podcast, and uh, pretty excited about it. We've been talking about it for Gosh, how long? It, well, more than more than six months, I would think. Yes. I think we, so. still don't, we still don't know what we're doing. Exactly. We're figuring it out <laughs> as we go. And that's okay. And we are down a man. Who's on vacation. Which is something that I've not experienced. I'm gathering you haven't experienced one of those, at least for a very long time. Not since my honeymoon. Which, by the way, the day this podcast is released is my 10-year anniversary. Well, happy anniversary on Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, that's right. Well, are you going to go howl at the moon or do something? (laughs) Go hang out at an uh, ER emergency room at the hospital. Exactly. All all Friday the 13th appropriate. Actually... What we're doing for our 10-year anniversary, this is pretty cool. We have a favorite band called the Avett Brothers. That's our absolute oh. yes. So we love the brothers. Wow. So every year they perform in Red Rock, Colorado for a three-day music type, almost like a almost like a festival, but it's just them. And uh, that's what we're going to go do. It's in July. But we So we've already bought the tickets. We've got everything set up. It's going to be a nice trip. And it really will be. Our first vacation since our honeymoon. That is so cool. Yes. That's, that, that, that makes me both feel happy for you and, and envious. And a little jealous, yep. Yeah, yeah. I, way to ruin my day. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm Cody. So who are you, Cody? I am Cody, Cody Stoffer. 
also a pastor um, of a, a United Methodist Church in Clarkston, and a dad, and of course, I'm married for 10 years. And I, on this show, we're having a conversation of generations here. So on this show, I'm the Gen Xer in the show. And and do you do you hold on to that Gen X title with a great deal of um, of pride and and just full ownership? Not a hundred percent. No, only good. Only <laughs> only because I was born in the last months of 1980, and so school wise and everything, I was raised. Uh, I grew up with all of the first years of the millennia. So so. You're in that special spot yes. where you you stand in two worlds. Exactly. I'm on the cusp wow. of both. So in a lot of respects, I have some millennial. But I'm kind of a slacker, so I guess you could call me a, <laughs> a Gen Xer in that respect. One of the things interesting, I, it'd be interesting uh, to, to unpack this one a little bit more. There is a, a another term for the that, that space uh, of time in which I was born. Mm-hmm which is the tail end of the baby boomers. We don't fully embrace baby boomer culture. Right. I should say fully embrace. We don't embrace it at all, generally. <laughs> because when we came of age, there was a, a, a adult age. Uh, we were in the midst of a depression, and so what happened, or at least a, a recession, mm-hmm. what ended up happening, people my age, born in the, the, the early half of the 60s, we had a completely different cultural experience as young adults than those who were born previous to us. Yeah. Yep. And so we kind of had this delay of several years. It ended up that the oldest of the Gen X folks were entering professions about the same yes. time mm-hmm. that we were entering professions. Yep. And so, so as a latter young adult, say when I was about, you know, late, later twenties, early thirties, I was there already having to compete with people, 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Uh, and it was an interesting kind of a in-between phase, but it meant, meant that I really didn't fully embrace a lot of the baby boomer, uh, what I would say kind of consumption, yes. capitalist values. Yep. Yep. Maybe just a little bit more odd and a little bit more in tune with the slacker of the <laughs> Gen X crowd. So, Amen. And I think the other part of that is I, I, I get stuck. I think it's part of being the youngest in a family. I just don't want to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> And Same here. Yeah, so if I if I can get the opportunity to not, I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get along famously. <laughs> Sounds great. And then, how about you, Craig? How do you, Craig Morton, present yourself to the world? Who are you? <clears throat> uh, multivocational pastor, mixed uh, track coach, dog walker, uh, garden provocateur. Ooh. You may need to help me with uh, garden. Uh, and here's a here's a here's a trick that my daughter told me, and I got to do, is you get a trash can, and you fill it with dirt, put it you know for like the first ten inches or so, put some potatoes in there, yeah. bury them. Okay. As soon as the plant grows about six or eight inches above the dirt, uh, throw in more dirt till it's just like an inch of the plant sticking out. Okay. Wait till it grows six or eight inches tall. Do it again. Do it again all the way to the top of the trash can. Really. And you'll end up having what looks like a Christmas tree of potatoes inside that can. A lot down at the bottom, you know, some more at that next string, yeah, yeah. you know, a few less at the le- you know, the next string, all the way up to the top where you might just have one or two at the very top, but you'll have oh, you'll have a whole trash can full of potatoes. That's awesome. I don't know if it's real, <laughs> but it sounded like I've got a trash can I need to throw away. We have thought. a couple too. So it's the bottom's rotted out, and I think, wait, that's drainage. Perfect. Oh, does I, it need? I, do I need to punch holes in it? Well, then? 
I don't with mine, but you probably would with yours. <laughs> so it's the trash can with that kind of classic trash can problem. How do you throw it away? Yeah, I throw it in the oh. In the... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I can't put it on the road. Nah. <laughs> yeah, pick up my trash can, would you? I keep putting it so, out here, and you keep leaving it. Keep leaving it. <laughs> so today, uh, when we're talking about this podcast, we're going to have themes every time, right? Is that correct? That's how we're going to approach themes, it? Themes, yes. Themes, music. Um, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about politics, food. We're going to talk about some religion. We're going to talk about movies and all sorts of stuff. Now, talking about movies, The Big Lebowski. Ooh, love it. Love that movie. Love it. But my wife had never seen it before. Oh, what so a my treat. my oldest son, who's, who's uh, going to be 32 soon, uh-huh. he and I watched it with her. He quoted nearly every line. She was just kind of confused. It was that yes. standard uh, response to any kind of Coen Brothers film. Yes. Where you go, I think I'm supposed to laugh. Wait, right. was that funny? <laughs> <laughs> so the very first time I saw it, I was, man, I had to be been a, a, probably 18, 17, 18. And at first I was just like that. I was like, what in the heck is going on here? Like what's happening? But I, you know, as you stop and you think about it and rewatch it, man, I love it. Absolutely oh, yeah. love that movie. Fantastic. So we'll we'll pick up themes. Uh, the theme for the this first uh, podcast revolves loosely around the Holy Spirit and yep. and Pentecost specifically coming up at this time of year, mm-hmm. and Pentecost being a lengthy season that moves into ordinary time in the church here. We could have twenty eight weeks or or more of of Pentecost. Ooh, there you so go. we we might want to break that theme up into subunits from time to time. Okay. Such as what does Pentecost have to say about All Star Break? Uh, yeah. Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we can we can we can dig into that uh, as we go along. But but we'll be picking up on uh, on Pentecost, and especially the work of Paul Pastor and his work with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to say anything about the interview? Yes, I got the privilege and honor of interviewing our very first guest. His name is Paul J. Pastor, and he is a writer, an editor, and he likes to call himself a grassroots pastor. And you can go find articles that he's written that kind of explains what that means. Um, he lives in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. And um, his work in general is uh, all about finding beauty and timeless wisdom in issues of faith, culture, and modern Christian ministry. And for the purposes of our interview, I got to interview him specifically about his debut book called The Face of the Deep, Exploring the Mysterious Person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's just a, it's a really good interview. He gets really deep. Um, the full-length interview will be made available for exclusive for exclusive listeners, we're, we're going to figure out what that means, what it means to be called an exclusive listener, whether that be a subscriber to the newsletter or different things like that. We'll figure out what that means. But it will be made available for people to listen to in full because it was a, a fantastic interview. We had to edit it down for purposes of time, but really good uh, interview talking about the Holy Spirit and the way we engage the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, just the way the church looks at the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. So fantastic, really good interview. So the interview and the podcasts, these will be available on the website, themissionplace.org. At the top of the page, you'll see a tab for Mission Place Media, and underneath media, it'll be our our blog for anything we happen to write, but also there's another link uh, underneath media for the All That's Holy Blue Collar podcast. And so you can click onto that, and you'll be able to get 
the full the full interview. confession to make yeah. i uh so this week we are getting ready for a yard sale uh okay. because we realize we need to like simplify our life right. and get rid of a whole bunch of stuff and i thought that it would be no problem you know like we'd go through the house we'd find these items we would get rid of the extraneous that we're not using or whatever um, and it sounds really simple in theory, but as we're going through the house, I have been such a thorn in my wife's side because there's so many things that I unconsciously have developed this attachment to that makes it so hard for me to get rid of these things. And I don't know. And, and it's stupid things like it's scraps of paper of like old articles that I could probably find online or keep digitally or whatever. For, so, for example, I have printed out like a whole bunch of um, articles off of Elalon. Remember Elalon? Right. Yeah. So I have a whole bunch good old days. Yes. Yeah, so I have a bunch of those printed out that I've put into like a binder, and some of them I haven't looked at in eight years, maybe. And yet here they are. I can't say goodbye to these things, like. Things like that, so like old magazines, like old uh, some old magazine articles I haven't read in forever, and some old video games and old movies, um, music, all sorts of the stuff that I just I don't listen to. I'm probably never books. I'm never gonna read them again, but I can't let them go, and I don't know what the deal is there. I don't know if there's some underlying psychological issue going on, but. Uh, you know, I watch like we have the there's the TV show Hoarders. You ever seen that? Right. Well, I've heard of it. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. And so I, <laughs> we watch it and I, you know, it's easy to judge and pass judgment and be like, oh, my gosh, how could it ever get that bad? And yet here I am going through this stuff like, why can't I let these things go? So so, I mean, we could we could try to. Uh, psychologize and dismantle and deconstruct uh, what you've just described. But I'm more curious as to what's going on in your spirit, mm. you know, yeah, yeah. because, because obviously you're, you're messed up. So we won't go into <laughs> the whole Freudian thing. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate but, that. but, but is it because is, is the frustration because of, you're a thorn in the side to your wife. Mm. Well, is that is that what you're confessing? Yeah. Or are you confessing really just the sense of attachment? Probably, to probably both things. Okay, so I'm not making it any easier on my wife who wants to just get it done. And right. at the same time, I recognize why. You know, gosh, why? 
these are just things, you know, I have no, they're, you know, <laughs> they, uh, I can't bring them with me, so to speak. You know, I, I have to let them go sometime or like my books, for example, the books, like I tell myself mentally, okay, I've read this book. I've had this experience of the book. I'm not going to read it again. So maybe I should be willing to pass it on to someone else who can experience it too, you know, but I don't know. Well, I, I'm with you. All, I understand everything you're saying about music, about scraps of paper, about old articles, you know, all these things that are meaningless attachments. You, you should let go of those. When you say book, <laughs> I I don't hear the sin in that. <laughs> it may be there, but I think I may be deaf to it. Mm, maybe you're so. So so. In in part, I would say, um, you know, bless you, my son. You're forgiven. <laughs> Go do your penances and go set a have a have a fire pit outside and get rid of all those things. But do not burn a book. <laughs> don't, don't burn the books. Okay. <laughs> okay. I I I was uh, helping some some people move out a garage and and doing some work, and was amazed by the amounts of things that you know people were holding on to for just in case or maybe someday I'll I'll use this. In our first congregation back in Kansas. It reminded me when we were moving out, we actually in, in the parish or in the, the parsonage garage had a huge pile. It was probably four or five feet tall, probably, you know, five or six feet wide, just this pyramid of stuff that were things that I had accumulated, mm -hmm. had saved in the garage, treasures that my children had brought back from the local dump slash burn pile outside of town that they thought were were wonderful and i always figured oh i could turn something into this i could make something yeah, of this yeah and and after 6 years it i had done nothing with it mm -hmm. and we had a similar size pile of decent things that we we're going to give to a um, the, you know a local charity but when i saw those two piles and realized that one of them was nothing but broken things and trash <laughs> it really spoke to my heart yep <laughs> that i had a problem there yep. and then a, a friend of mine was talking about helping a priest to move out of a of a of a parsonage as well mm -hmm. and actually written on the side of the box of one of these boxes uh, the the priest had written pieces of string too short to save <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And I, and I thought, well, I I really don't want to go down that path, but I could envision myself going that way. And, uh, oh man! So, so sometimes, may, maybe instead of watching hoarders on TV, you need to go help a hoarder move. Exactly. Then that will <laughs> that, that, open my eyes. That is that is both your your penance and your cure, mm, perhaps. Thank you. So, thank you. First of all, thanks for agreeing to be our first inaugural guest. <laughs> it's my pleasure, truly. Just so you know, you're setting the tone for the entire history of the podcast. So 
I, I feel the weight is already on my shoulders here. <laughs> awesome. If I remember right, reading from some of your biography, you live right now in the, the gorge. Did you grow up there? I grew up in rural Oregon, but on the other side of the valley. Okay. So, yeah, a little sheep farm in Helvetia, but we now live uh, on the east side of Portland. Let me ask you, how has um, your the geography of where you grew up and uh, – working with sheep and things like that. How has that shaped your views on the Holy Spirit? Yeah, great question. Well, if this book is about, if the face of the deep is about one thing, it's about the imminence of the spirit. And that of course is the $2 word for the closeness that God keeps to his creation. And all persons of the Trinity are imminent. The father and the son are, are fully imminent beings, of course, but uh, the spirit is imminent in some really special ways as creator and as sustainer of the world. And, um, you know, I I lived a very kind of unencumbered life. I took it for granted as a child. I really don't anymore. But growing up in the country, no real obligations uh, other than just sort of the barest requirements of school and church. And I just lived outdoors. I lived outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, my my heart is an Oregon heart and an outdoor heart and a heart of the fields and yeah. the woods. And I think that comes through in the book. But really, I, I have encountered God there very, very deeply, uh, always balanced by and grounded by my understanding of him from the scriptures, of course. But, man, we just forget imminence to our great, great, great disservice. And uh, so, so, yeah, I can't tell you exactly all of the ways that that nature has shaped my understanding of the spirit, but I see him here. I see him in everything. I have a very uh, advanced case of, I believe it's called creeping perichoresis, <laughs> as one modern <laughs> theologian has called it, this understanding that, you know, God in and through all things extends throughout right. creation. And yeah, I've got, I've got a bad case of, of creeping perichoresis and it's just getting worse <laughs> with, uh, with the release of this book and, and continued thinking along those lines. You mentioned the, the eminence factor that comes up all throughout. I'd say that's like the central theme of the book of just the eminence of the Holy spirit, you know, remembering and knowing and experiencing the Holy spirit here, but why, and you mentioned the, the, the father and the son both also as eminent, but why the Holy spirit, why the connection to eminence for the Holy spirit? Why the, why did you focus on the Holy Spirit? Why not the Son and the Incarnation? I mean, that seems a prime example of it. Yeah. It's there, but why the Holy Spirit for you? Well, it's. I think there's probably several reasons for that. One is that the Son has gotten the, you know, Samuel Chadwick's ten coins to the, <laughs> to the Spirit's one. You know, he's gotten a lot of attention, and and very few people do extended writing on the Holy Spirit. And if they do, it's usually relatively predictable, at least in recent years. Uh, they write about the Spirit. Uh, empowering your spiritual life. They write about the controversy of spiritual gifts. They write about uh, correctives to, you know, perceived errors related to the Holy Spirit, but they don't capture the mystery and the wonder of living with God. And so if I can wax Trinitarian for a moment and, and zoom back Please. a little bit, uh, the Father, yes, he's imminent, but we also have to understand that the biblical vision of the Father's imminence is pretty dangerous. You remember Moses on Sinai, right? Where God yes, shows yes. up, and, and of course, what's true of any member of the Trinity is true of all. So, so bear that in mind before I, you know, make these distinctions. But, you know, the Father says, "No one can look on me and live." 
and he covers in this story, puts Moses in the mountain, covers him with his hand and walks past. And just the trailing glory of God uh, leaves Moses shining and just close to, to being undone as a, as a carbon-based life form. And then yeah. for the sun as well, the incarnation is glorious, but he's, he's in now a, a particular human body, uh, a very specific human body that my creed holds uh, is sitting now at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, so he's not here. So, so why is it that he said uh, that it's better for him to go so the spirit can come? Well, it's because of it's because of imminence and because the spirits, the spirit can be omnipresent but gentle, uh, because of his nature. And every single work of the spirit, from creation all the way through to the most personal works of sanctification, are imminent works. They're works he can do specifically because he's close and he's gentle. So. The way that I would describe it is imagine all the creative and sustaining power of God, the one in, in whom we are made uh, in his image, but also the engine of reality, right? There's nothing outside of this creator's purview and power. And yet all of that is, is condensed in a form that is so gentle and welcoming that, that he is able to not only indwell us and seal us as a work of his spirit, but empower us for his work and life. It's really remarkable. And it's almost too close to us. I think sometimes uh, we, we forget the mystery, we dull to the wonder. And uh, that's, that's profoundly to our loss. All right. So let's take a step back and I'm going to ask you to do something that might be borderline heretical. So bear mm. with me. I want you to, I'm going to give you three settings. You pick which one you want. And I want you to introduce us to the Holy Spirit in one of these settings. Who would the Holy Spirit be in one of these settings? So here's the three settings. A bar, a football team, or a factory assembly line. Okay, so you want me to pick one of the three, not all three? Yes, just one. Well, if you can do all three, <laughs> go for it. But or But maybe in the interest of time, just okay. pick one. Yeah, hey, I like this already. Let's pick a bar. Okay. Uh, so you walk into a bar, and uh, there's there's live music playing in the corner. It's a little ragtag folk band doing some doing some mm -hmm. bluegrass. Someone behind the counter pouring shots. People laughing, people talking. Um, Waiters and waitresses bustling around, cooks rattling around back in the kitchen. Smells like greasy food and good beer and all of the reasons that you'd go to a good bar. Now, who's the Holy Spirit? Well, let's tell a couple different stories here. I think the traditional okay. evangelical story would say that he is the bartender and the cook and the waitstaff. Mm -hmm. The person who's there to make all this possible, and that's and that's true. Like that's that's half true. Uh, remember Jesus uh, before his ascension and Happy Ascension Day, by the way, the day we're recording this. Thank you. Yes, and before his ascension, he said basically, "Don't move from Jerusalem until you're given power from on high to do the mission that you've been given." And and that power, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, if the bar is is the church, then you know, the one who's empowering us and giving us, you know, serving us in, in some sense is the spirit. 
But, you know, I think the spirit is also the guy playing music in the corner. Mm. Not just creating worship, but just simply creating beauty. And I think that he is the cook, and I think he is the food, and I think that he's the wood floors we're walking across. Mm. And I think that he is the drink that we drink and the laughter between us and the love that arises between us. Uh, mm. And what I don't want to do here, you know, we're, we're qu quickly reaching the heretical edges of what you talked about. <laughs> what I don't want to do is create a vision of the spirit's imminence that is pantheistic, meaning that God is everything. This table is God. This computer is God. My cup of absinthe here is God. I'm not drinking absinthe while we're just to clarify. But I don't. This could yeah, be first thing. This is the first thing that came to mind. Uh, so we can't do that. And, and I don't even want to go to panentheism. God is in everything because that only really tells half of the Christian story. God's transcendence sure. is as much part of him as his imminence. But for the spirit, our doctrine teaches really clearly that there's simply no place he is not. And if that's true, we haven't really mined, I think, the wonder capacity of that. His, oh, his presence in everything, the sound waves of our laughter, the beating of our heart when we look on the face of, of a child or of a friend, someone we're close to that we love, uh, the grass and the stones and the vibration of a guitar string and good food and good fellowship, all of that, all of those things are sustained actively by his word and can become for us, as in a sense, a sacrament, a way that we experience in our world the divine life of God. And that's deeply orthodox. That's deeply Christian. Um, and part of the reason that the face of the deep needed to be written the way that it was, in a way that, that is very sacramental and with an eye towards the poetic wonder of all that, is just because we have erred so far in the opposite direction I just think that we need voices, and I'm a very small voice among them, but I want to be one, that can just grab us and point our faces back to why, why Christianity really, really matters. And that is, mm -hmm. this, is this is the way that, that God is choosing to introduce the world to the life of his son. And at the center of that process is the Holy Spirit. That's good. You mentioned, uh, you know, Paul, the verse where Paul talks about the suffering. Um, I was curious, what do you see as a connection between suffering and a deep connection to the Holy Spirit? Do you see a connection there? Yeah, I, I see multiple connections. I mean, I don't think that we have to suffer to have the Holy Spirit, but I do know that the Spirit is fully present in suffering. One of the chapters in the Face of the Deep called The Wind of the Wilderness uh, mm -hmm. examines sort of the spirit's role in the desert times of life. Yep. And suffering is often a really key part of those desert times of life. I think everyone has to experience it. Everyone, every Christian has to walk through the wilderness at some point. And part of my point in that chapter is not just that the spirit provides for us there or is present for us there, but that he puts us there. Yeah. Because the biblical story is that he put Jesus there. Immediately right. following the right. baptism, he, he, he throws him into the wilderness. The spirit does, throws him into the wilderness. And so I think he does the same for us. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily make times of suffering any easier. 
to, to know that, but perhaps it gives us some context that is helpful to think as we're walking through difficulty. Yes, the Spirit is present here. He's going to provide for us here. He's promised that we can have abundance, even when scarcity seems like the only thing that we're experiencing. But how would it change our perception of that if he's actually led us to that place, looked us in the eyes and said, trust me, I think that it would deepen it. I think it should deepen it. Uh, yeah. Perhaps not make the experience any easier or any less difficult, but at least give it a sense of purpose uh, that we can trust in some of those dark times. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before we go, the uh, in, in your book you you've created an iconography for the uh, you and in, in partnership with a, an artist have created an iconography and first let me just say i absolutely loved it when i looked at it the first thought that came to my mind was like a great uh, graphic novel or a, a comic comic book <laughs> i love it love that style um good but why did you see a need for uh an iconography to go along with your book yeah well i was afraid that people were going to be able to disconnect from the book pretty easily if they didn't resonate with my particular prose style and that may still be true but it was really important for me to encapsulate some of these doctrines in immediately visible uh artistic form right and that's the best history of of pastoral art which icons mm -hmm. are they're pastoral art and so i approached martin french who did the icons here and uh, originally, I was looking for a student in his illustration and design program who might be able to help. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm writing this book on the Holy Spirit. It's going to be very symbolic, very biblically grounded, but it's going to be very different. And uh, for the icons, I'm looking somewhere between Mike Mignola's Hellboy <laughs> and Greek Orthodox iconography. Nice. Right. So that graphic there novel nod that you said, is, it's, it's there and it's there on purpose. And the reason for that was we wanted blocky, heavy, weighty. Mm very physical images to counteract uh, sort of the wrong ideas people have about the spirit, that he's sort of this flighty, ephemeral feeling, or he kind of comes and goes. No, if what I'm saying in this book is true, if what the Bible says about this book, about the spirit is true, man, this, the spirit is the bulk of mountains, and he's the power of storms, and he's, you know, every metaphor for his depth and breadth and fury and, and kindness and gentleness and holiness, they all just fail because he's just so God. Yeah. And so we wanted to bring that out. So yeah, 14 icons by Martin French. Your listeners can purchase those for very affordable price on Martin's website. And I highly yeah. recommend that they do Absolutely. so. There's beautiful art quality prints there. And uh, I just think it's very valuable, especially in our very image-based society today to you know, have a pastoral angle that can put a piece of art on the wall and ask a, a community of people, what do you see mm -hmm. here? Yeah. And, uh, and actually have them learning theology through, through interpreting that icon. As a pastor, then when people say, and I'm sure you've probably had this question before, when they talk about you speaking about the Holy Spirit is just here, so present, eminent, and yet they may say to you, and I've heard this as a pastor, um, that's great, but I've never experienced that before. <laughs> how do I how do yeah. I get that experience? Why am I not experiencing it? And what would you say to them? And then yeah. how would you encourage yeah. them to develop a connection to the Holy Spirit? 
So glad you asked that question. This happens a lot. And each time I, I work really hard to look that person just straight in the eyes and very kindly, because this is holy ground, say, tell me a time that you loved beyond your human ability to love, that you forgave beyond your human ability to forgive, that you felt joy beyond your ability for joy. Tell me a time when you experienced God take you beyond yourself. And if they're really a Christian, like if they've been bought and named with the blood and the name of Jesus, invariably, at least so far, they can come up with something. And it's usually within like three seconds, oh, yeah. like bam, they know. And our doctrine's really clear. That was the spirit. Like if you've, if you've been carried past your human ability for holiness mm. in line with the fruit of the spirit, friend, that was the spirit. And so I don't care if, you know, you've, you have or haven't spoken in tongues or had this manifestation or, you know, tossed your crutches aside or seen the gold sifting through your fingers. I mean, some of that's legit for people and some of it's not. But if you have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, temperance, that list of Paul and Galatians, mm -hmm. if any of that has gone beyond your own perception of your human abilities, that's the spirit. It just is. And they begin approaching the spirit with new eyes and in a new way, much less flashy usually. Mm really grounded and so healthy Christian in the richest, richest sense of the word to have that type of view of the closeness of God and then begin moving towards mm, that. That's good. All right, Paul, I'm going to ask you one final set of questions. I, I, this may be what we ask every uh, <laughs> guest before we close. Okay. So what are you, what are you drinking? What are, what uh -huh. are you reading? What are you watching? And if I came to your neck of the woods, where are you taking me to eat? <laughs> Sounds great. What am I drinking? Well, right now I've got a case of Coors Banquet, which is their 1936 stubby bottle. Uh, it's not great beer, but it's around right now. So that's what I'm drinking at the moment. Uh, and green tea. Yes. I'm, I'm drinking some green tea. I'm getting over a mm -hmm. cold. Uh, what am I reading? Just started the Brothers K. Oh, good. Yeah, it was given to me by, by a friend and a client, so I'm kicking that off. But just finished Patti Smith's M Train, mm, which awesome. I highly, highly recommend. Uh, next question, what's the next Watching, question? Watching, uh, a movie Watching. or a TV show? or Yeah, uh, last night watched Alfred Hitchcock's classic To Catch a Thief, oh, uh, Cary Grant, Grace Kelly, you know, brilliant, brilliant mm -hmm. film. And for uh, Where Would I Take You to Eat Out Here?, uh, there's a barbecue joint. Uh, they do all their smoked meats on the top of the hill here up in Corbett. And basically it's a gas station, but you have to tell them to stop piling this <laughs> delicious home smoked pork on, uh, on a hoagie roll. Okay. And it, and it's just really good. So not pretentious, <laughs> like five bucks will oh, get man. you like. Uh, uh, just ungodly amount of gorgeous smoked pork. Oh, so that's awesome. I think we'd, we'd drive up there and have a picnic. That's awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, let our listeners know how they can connect with you and how they can get a hold of your book. Yeah, books available anywhere that books are sold. Uh, Amazon's a great uh, way to get that. 
pauljpastor.com. My Twitter is at pauljpastor. I use that sort of intermittently, but I'm there, and I've got a Facebook page, uh, Paul J. Pastor author, that they can look me up on as well. But uh, they can also uh, snail mail me, uh, P.O. Box 36, Bridalvale, Oregon, 97010. And that's uh, how I prefer a lot of my correspondence, because I'll write, I'll write you back. Perfect. Thank you so much, Paul. Yep. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Cody. So over the last several months, our oldest son, who had been living in, in Portland, and he's moving, actually he's completed his move, now he's living in, in Illinois, had spent some time with us, uh, spent some time working, saving up some money, getting ready for this next transition. And while he was with us, it was uh, fun to cook with him. Not that he helped me in the kitchen to cook, but usually when I get together, uh, the elements or the 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 ingredients for whatever recipe I'm doing. I set them all out on the counter. I usually have NPR playing the news or complete silence, but it's my sacred space. And my son didn't know that. Mm. So as I'm working at, at creating whatever meal I'm creating, he would be there and he would talk. He's a good talker. And he would talk about music, about politics, about his day, about bicycles, about books he's read, uh, philosophical arguments that fascinated him. And it was kind of this constant um, nonstop conversation going on, which I was completely not used to. And at first, I kind of had this internal anxiety. This is my quiet time. <laughs> I don't want to talk. However, within just a short period of time realizing you know this is this is our son who had moved out of the house over a decade ago and we hadn't spent time with um, largely because of work and travel and cost of getting together and 
And it was just difficult to have that kind of time with him for so long that I really felt convicted that I just need to cherish these moments. And, and so as, as I'm throwing together whatever food we have and, you know, making whatever meal we were making and finally would sit down at the table together, it was not just the culmination of, of whatever ingredients I could pull out of the refrigerator and throw something together. It, each of these meals ended up having um, kind of a latent, kind of a hidden, almost like a subplot of whatever the conversation had been with him that day. Yeah. And, and so going from this moment of, this is my time, you're invading it, to this time of just deep gratitude. I was just so grateful that he was able to spend about two and a half months with us and that he felt so comfortable to just have this great kind of nonstop conversation around us. And so the, 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 the gathering around the table was, was simply the, the affirmation of all that conversation that went into the making of the food. Mm. And, and, and for me, making food and so many things in the house, but, but making food is such a divine experience. Yes. Uh, to, to grab grab these things that some of them still have chunks of dirt on. Oh yeah, you, you know that either some some um, migrant farm worker who's struggling to take care of his family pulled it up out of the ground, or maybe some farmer uh, more locally, you know, would had had made this their prized possession so they could actually take care of their family and sell mm. it at a farmer's market. Um, just just the the depth of of um, of labor and love that goes into each of those those pieces of food, you know, that so easily are just scoured of all kinds of personality at the grocery store, uh, but know that it was there once. I just, I just find it a divine moment to, to cook. (laughs) (laughs) What a good experience. Yeah. So that was really (laughs) profound. And I, I'm I'm really grateful that we, we had that time. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Some of our music selections today uh, that we've been playing along on the podcast, or will be playing along the podcast, we got uh, uh, School of Seven Bells, The Strumbellas, and Explosions in the Sky. Explosions in the Sky is perfect for Pentecost-themed parties. Absolutely. The um, Explosions in the Sky, definitely one of my favorite bands that I discovered when first watching the great football movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, why did I forget the name? <laughs> Friday Night Friday Lights. Night Lights. Yes, there we go. Absolutely. And, Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. Just the the emotional uh, pull of the music from Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, just strong music, and and, and uh, they also played some of the theme music and some of the some of their music for the TV series Friday Night Lights. Yep. The um, the band usually goes with. Uh, strictly guitars and drums yep. bass mm-hmm. and on the latest album pull in a lot more kind of ambient sounds yeah. uh, do some more synthesized uh, guitar parts where you know certain kinds of strokes and certain ways of, of playing with the strings create kind of haunting uh, ambient back tones 
But the use, the thing that really threw me was actually the use of a piano. Yes. And it's it's either they're progressing or they're actually becoming somewhat heretical. Uh, <laughs> however, however, their songs still go through that incredible dynamic range of oh. maybe a, a, a either a moody beginning or a, or a kind of a reflective, thoughtful moment, uh, mm-hmm. then transitioning into another movement, kind of feeling symphonic, and it goes into another movement where it begins to brighten up and often ends with these really powerful, uh, positive and hopeful emotions, at least for me. I, I experience their music really profoundly emotionally. Yeah, and uh, as I was listening to it, so I listened to the whole album, and ambient uh, music I like, um, but it's not like you know my top, genre but when i was listening to this it was just like when it ended the the whole album i was like holy crap it's over already <laughs> you know because oh, yeah. yeah. i, I kind of am used to their songs being even longer like long stretched out like okay is this song still going on but this one seemed like um it started out you know quiet built up and then moved on to the next thing and i was not expecting that or used to that from them so um they're kind of each one, almost in a sense, is like, um, almost like a standalone. Where some of their other stuff, it seems like you have to listen to the whole album. Because this one, I felt like standalone, you know, tracks definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and looking at them more closely, they they do have this kind of individual yep. symphonic element. They yep. they go yep. through movements and they don't end where they began. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So really cool stuff. Uh, the the other the other band uh, that I'm not sure how I bumped into them, but the Strumbellas, the Strumbellas. When I first heard them, I thought, "Wow, this sounds like really good kind of uh, pop choral music." Made yeah. me think a little bit of the Mowgli's or yeah, Polyphonic yeah. Spree in the choral part. However, then I thought it kind of has a kind of a more Western twang. Yeah, I thought, yeah this pop, is this is what pop this grass. is pop cowboy yeah, stuff. Yeah, pop grass. And yeah, it's pop grass. But then I found out, wait, these guys are from I think Alberta, Canada, Canada or someplace, right. and uh, it didn't have that that I lost that cowboy feel out of it. Yes, when you found out they're from Canada, it's like, yeah, do they have cowboys there? <laughs> they don't. They have what do they have? They have uh, I don't know what they have up there. Bandoleros? No, wait, that's someplace <laughs> wait, else. Different border. Different. Border. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but the, the song we have is called Dog, and I just love this song. Uh, one of the one of the pleasures we had while our son was here is he had his dog with him, uh, his dog Moni, and our dog Mika. They just they got together wonderfully well. Uh, they had their moments when when they both were arguing over which bone belonged to whom, uh, but they settled it. But my my son and his dog, and I think to a certain degree me and my dog, just you when you have a dog, you understand what loyalty is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and the incredible empathy. That dogs feel for their people is just it's to me it's just astounding so if you have a bad day rough day you're sick yeah your dog knows it and <clears> the <throat> chorus the chorus of this song i just i love it says mm. i'll pick you up when the road gets too rough i'll be your dog yeah <laughs> i'll be your dog i'll be your light when you're stuck in this night i'll be your dog and mm. i'll be your dog and if ever there was a chorus that said jesus is a great dog I mean, that's it. There you go. I mean, there's a line in there. Um, as I was listening to, it's like, uh, it's hard. You love others, they don't love you back, or something like that. Or when you right. love something and it doesn't love you back. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good line. That uh, that line just stuck out with me because you know, 
like in ministry, you know, sometimes you can feel like you're banging your head against the wall because you're working with people and yeah. and you're investing in them and you, I don't know, you don't know if it, anything happens <laughs> or if anything's going on on their end. And it can feel like that, like there's not, there's nothing in return. And yep, yep. Yeah. And School of the Seven Bells. Yeah, this band I had not, I wish I would have heard of earlier. Yeah. Uh, I really, I really like the, uh, the, the vocal, uh, the, the, um, the arrangement, you know, it's really layered, a um, lot of uh, kind of a synth pop mm-hmm. feel to it, yeah. but it, it really caught my, uh, emotionally, it, it caught my attention. And then as I read the story of the School of Seven Bells, it's actually a, a posthumous release. Yeah. And I I was disappointed to have not uh, known about yeah, uh, exactly. School of Seven Bells previously. Yep. The other thing, though, is I really love the phrase Seven Bells. Yeah, that's good. And I didn't know what it was. And I had been watching some TV show and it was somebody got uh, beat up in a fight and somebody said, well, you just something about the school of seven bells. You just you just got you know schooled in the school of seven bells. <laughs> and what happens on a ship is I think it's on a ship. Eight bells is uh, the completion of something. Mm. And seven bells is just under the completion. Oh wow! Uh, of, of I think it's a, like a full punishment or something like that. So instead of instead of uh, a capital punishment, it's a punishment of seven bells. Oh wow! And uh, my uncle said, "Oh, it's kind of like thirty-nine lashes. Yeah. Forty was the limit that you were allowed to give somebody mm. uh, in Roman times. Uh, so thirty-nine was everything but that last fatal blow. Oh wow! And so it's it's just just that." that idea of seven bells we all have those experiences when we don't think we can take any more and by just pure grace we don't have to mm. you know some, some, something you know lifts the hand of, of the judgment we feel or the persecution we're receiving ah. so so in some ways the music i really like but the, the title <laughs> just really caught me more than anything mm. can you imagine uh, the the lady in the duo as she's completing this album, you know, with uh, her partner gone, as she's right, kind of wrapping right. it up, just the thoughts that you're going through. I wonder if, you know, so like we talk about food and creation, you know, when you create something, as you're creating your emotions imbue into that, whatever it is you're making, you know, they show up in there. Um, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, as I listen to the songs, I definitely hear that. The song that we have on the podcast, "Ablaze," "Ablaze," chosen chosen for its Pentecost uh, perfect uh, potential. Yes, so. absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I think in our interview with uh, Paul, he talks about suffering a little bit and how the Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, is there with you in the suffering. In fact, a lot of times it, it doesn't start the suffering but it sends you into those moments and so i could imagine alejandra de Heza, you know okay her her creative spirit compelling her to finish this album even though there's suffering involved in it there's loneliness involved in it paul pastor was saying in the interview is that the spirit doesn't create the suffering right but sends you into it yep uh, all those all those moments where you have the opportunity to escape suffering mm-hmm I mean, we, we really would, would like to do that. Yes. But there is some suffering that we need to dig deeply Gotta into. Gotta go. Gotta step into go, it. Go, th- go through it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. So insert whistle here. All right. So we've got two-minute warning. For the two-minute warning, we've got it's winding up, and we've got to get the last offensive plays out on the field. Move them in. In order to do so, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to look at a, a book that I completed reading not too long ago, The Politics of Discipleship mm-hmm. by Graham Ward, mm-hmm. uh, Becoming Post-Material Citizens. Great book, and I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from there, uh, completely out of context. So, Cody, grab what you can okay. Okay. and see what you can do. Uh, right. Part of what he's getting at is post-modernity because it's such a strong push against some things that it doesn't really have an internal logic of its own. Mm. It's kind of a resistance position rather than one that having significant content and okay. might be running out of steam. Okay. You have so, one minute on the clock. No, two minutes on the clock. Now? Ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Postmodernity's religion is softer, more fluid, evasive, playful, narcissistic. Closer to New Age spirituality, Gia worship, Scientology, religions outside traditional frameworks. Luckman famously examined this phenomena as it emerged in the 60s as invisible religion. Culturally, such religion is pervasive but not entirely. Postmodernity's religion was not about discipline. It was more related to spiritualizing of human subjectivity. It was an intensification of the privatization of religion, so in step with one of the main themes of modernity. But there are aspects of the new visibility of religion that resonate with the return of the king, zero-tolerance policing, and the biopolitics that keep health and the stigmatizing of obesity high on political agendas, and the vociferous demands for public order and responsible citizenship. The Westerners who return to Buddhism, Hinduism, Opus Dei, the four million... Oh, I'm out of time. <laughs> so see what you can do with that. Okay, one minute to respond. Well, <clears throat> what I would say, uh, largely growing up in the post-modernity, there's some, definitely some truth there. There's no internal structure uh, that has necessarily been part. But, you know, part of post-modernity is to constantly be tearing down, deconstructing. So I suppose um, you might say that the internal logic is a part of always tearing down, always taking apart, um, and there will be a sense of softness. However, I've, all, I've long thought, and this is my thoughts on postmodernity, that what a lot of people classify as postmodernity is truly hypermodernity, meaning like it's very much... Um, the centered eye, the rational eye in the center creating meaning and, and those types of things. So in a lot of sense, what people call postmodern isn't really post the modernity. It's really just a hyper modernity. And that's kind of like my take on that. Time. Boom. <laughs> Time. How'd we do? I don't know who scored. <laughs> <laughs> well, very postmodern of us. Yeah, you know, it's it's right. We play a game with no score. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who won? I don't know. There's no way. What does your centered self say? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this this book this book was really really fascinating because I think one of the things that you mentioned though actually he picks up in this is this continually deconstructing of yeah. things, mm-hmm. and he takes it into the issue of discipleship and asks, well, what then does it mean to have a body of believers? Mm. What is it? Can we gather again into a post-materialism? Yes, there should where be. Where we are, a where post there's a post. Yeah, yeah. So it's it kind of is a post-post 
Modernism. Yes. Yep. Really good book. Fascinating. It's one of those things that I read several months ago and I continue to chew on. Nice. That's good stuff. Okay. Now what? Hey, Cody. Yes, Craig. So what are, you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking forward to this summer? You know, June's coming around the corner. So June, well, you know what's going on? Um, it's basically, I don't know what they call it, man. It's like conference season or convention season because we got the political conventions coming up in July. We'll have just gone through the conventions for uh, quite a few denominations, the UMC, the Presbyterian. And I know they're going to be talking about some controversial big stuff that uh, they're going to be dealing with the fallout from for probably the next four years. So I'm looking forward to that. It's convention season. So you just said for the next four years, you're talking about political conventions yes. and church conventions, yes. both functioning in that same kind of time frame. That's absolutely right. It just lines up just right. You know, I think one of the things that I enjoy about convention season, church conventions as well as political conventions, is I approach them with the same kind of mentality I do sports. Mm -hmm. I'm not out on the field. I'm not going to get hurt too much. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the strategies they they engage in order to avoid one another <laughs> and sometimes avoid issues. Yep. Uh, and, and they're all trying to get toward their end of the, of the field for a goal. Beautiful. It's, Beautiful. And, and if my team loses – Generally, it's not the end of the game. Ah. I mean, the, the sport will prevail. The season goes on. The season goes on, and it comes back another time. Speaking of, during June, another thing I'm looking forward to, NBA Finals and NHL Stanley Cup Finals are going hey, on. Don't forget, don't forget the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open. Oh, man, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. As my grandfather called it, cow pasture pool. <laughs> Uh, a good walk ruined golf there you go <laughs> <laughs> yes lots to talk about in june it's gonna be fun i'm excited very good very good all right so see you next time see you, uh, make sure to log into the website and check out the missionplace.org check out the media tab and you'll hit the drop down list and you'll find uh information about this podcast and how to listen to the complete interview with Paul Pastor. So much goodness there. So much goodness to come because we're going to have Justin with us too. And keep the goodness coming because, you know, with God, just about all is holy. All that's holy. Amen. Amen.